eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Premier, couple Jared Mack on this Tuesday edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast, getting you ready for Oregon BYU, which kicks off here in a couple of days. Saturday, 12.35 p.m. start game broadcast on Fox with Jason Benetti, Brock Heward, and Allison Williams providing play-by-play analysis and sideline reporting for Fox. Uh Monday night, late Monday night, we got to speak with Dan Lanning about Oregon's recovery review of Eastern Washington, their look ahead to BYU. And then Tuesday after practice, uh, we got to see uh, a couple defensive players come to the media scrum, Christian Gonzalez and also D- uh, DJ jo- Johnson. Uh, got some good stuff from there. We'll, we'll talk with about what we learned from those interviews on the back end of the show. But first, we're going to get you kind of caught up on some injury news um, from fallout from Saturday's win and also some new stuff that we've seen getting into practice. Um, Ryan Walk back, suited up but did not play against uh, Eastern Washington. That's good to see. And then um, doesn't sound like Seven McGee has much of an injury issue. Uh, don't really know the issue, uh, what, what popped up in that game, but yeah. Um, Dan said he should be fine. He was at practice on Tuesday. And then a couple of notable ones, guys, that we didn't know about um, in Saturday's performance. And then some new stuff at practice today that could be a little alarming. Yeah. So let's start bad news first, and then we'll break down some of the good news in more detail that Matt just discussed. But um, pretty notable that Stephen Jones and Justin Flo, not at today's practice. Um, yeah. You feel for both of these guys, but I think Flo in particular, if this is serious, and we're not saying it is because it's one practice, he might have had a, a dental appointment. He might have, you, you know, he could, an absence happens for all sorts of things. We've had guys also not be at practice when we're there, show up. Like Brandon Dorless, like basically ran in, like right as we were leaving during fall camp one practice, like things happen. But it's not ideal for sure to have one of your most dynamic defensive players away for any period of time leading up to, you know, into a game against BYU. And if it is injury related, which I kind of expect it is, this is pretty concerning long-term, short-term, all of it, just because flow is such a valuable part. And then Jones injury, we'll kind of get into some of how they might remedy that, but um, that's now two interior, that's your two starting 
day one offensive guards who now are dealing with injuries. Um, Jones on the right side, Walk on the left side. And Jones is your biggest body on the offensive mm-hmm. line, period. And you're going against a BYU front that's big and physical. Not saying they don't have capable players, because I think Jones is probably graded out kind of poorly to start the season. But just from a physicality, pure mass perspective, this is a tough one to miss because he is a massive human being on that right side. And you had just two huge guys over there on that right side. They, they ran behind quite a bit with Jones and and with Big Sala. And um, again, no, we're not going to go into too much detail with, with Jones in terms of what it could be, what it might be. Um, but notable that he also wasn't at practice today. Um, those both hurt. And then, um, Jared, is there anything else you want to share on either of those? Or should we just run into some of the, the good news? No, I mean, I think it's fine. I think, yeah, just to, just to mention that those guys just weren't there at practice and, you know, weren't even seen really. So uh, I think we can just jump right into the good news. Okay, good news was, and Matt kind of talked about it, Ryan Walk did a lot of stuff at practice today. Didn't do the full contact period drills, but did all the other stuff. So I think he's like a partial participant. Dan seemed pretty optimistic um, on Monday about it when I asked about injuries. He said, um, you know, we're in a spot with him where, you know, maybe we could have pushed him to play. We chose not to. We wanted to give some other guy opportunities. They did. He was pretty high on both Marcus Harper and Jackson Powers Johnson, how they played. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was hopeful that he would be able to play this week. And I think having him back at practice and having him be, you know, participating in some regard, really, I think, a positive thing for kind of what might come down the pike here with, with Ryan. And then, as Matt said, Seven McGee. Looked like he did everything today. I think that was a cramping issue. Yeah. Yep. That's what it looked like. That's what it looked like. So I, I, I'm not concerned with him. I think he'll be available. And then um, James and Boyle, I, I'm not expecting either of those guys to miss Saturday's game. They're both at practice and look like they were fine. So and, and neither of those guys play huge roles. But Boyle is your kickoff specialist, and if Oregon's going to score some points against BYU, he could factor into some things. Whereas James, I think. Maybe gets in, but you know, I think condensing it to four running backs isn't maybe the worst thing in the world. So, and then just two other small injury notes. Um, I guess just one. We did see Suava Poti at practice. Right. Didn't didn't participate, but walking around in a boot was still. there. So, yes. yeah, in a boot. So, I'm thinking that's something that's you know somewhat long term from him. He's been in a boot now for at least about three weeks, hasn't practiced in over a, a month, I think. So I would not expect to see him contributing at any time in the short term. Yeah. It was it was good to see Ryan walk. Um, you know, he was in warm ups for the Saturday game, but then, you know, took everything off and was just in his jersey and, and street clothes for the actual game. Um, and then seven obviously leaves the game early, but uh, was basically a full participant for what we saw today at practice, um, fielded punts, um, and took part in, in some of the drills that we saw. Um, Eric talked about walk. I didn't watch him, so that was – Eric, he, he participated in most of the drills, right? Yep. Yeah. He did. So that, the good positive developments, um, like Eric mentioned, Dan is excited or at least confident in the abilities of Harper and Jackson Powers Johnson if – either Jones or Walk or both don't, aren't able to go. Um, we'll get into what that means for the offensive line in just, just a second here. But um, both both positive developments there. Um, again, overall, things are still on the healthier side for Oregon, um, knocking on wood. Um, 
So that's, again, a positive development compared to where they were last year. Um, but yeah, I don't think there was any other significant injury news or any injury news either than those couple of guys. But again, Jones and Flo, which we'll get into now, I mean, those are those are some significant injuries if they are um, you know, prolonged injuries where, again, like Eric mentioned, could have been a dental appointment for both of these guys and they could just be here tomorrow. But uh, if it's longer than the the hour scheduled dental appointment, then that could be somewhat of a, that could be an issue for Oregon's defense moving forward and offense. The flow and Jones stuff, we don't want to make too much of this because like Eric said, they maybe they were at practice when we weren't there. But to our credit, we didn't see them leave practice either. Um, yeah. And that's notable. Um, I think, Eric, you did see Jones before practice started on crutches though, right? Yeah, we did. Um, and we don't know the extent of that. So not, not, not great. Yeah. Um, that's not good. But so let's just operate with the guys that, hey, maybe they there's something here. If they can't go, this creates a dilemma. You Let's start with the offensive line first. You brought it up, Eric, that both their guards now are dealing with stuff. It does look like Ryan Walk is back. I think, you know, if we want to put our tinfoil hats on, they looked at last week and said, he could go if we really need him to, but he might aggravate something. Let's give him one more week of rest when we don't really need him to play against Easter Washington because we're going to need him against BYU. I, that's that's my read on the situation. So he's at practice. He's doing some things. They're kind of easing him back in. Um, you, you, so you lose one starter, but maybe pr- potentially you, you gain another one back. But it's going to create some shuffling here because what do you do? I mean, do, do you go with – a, a Harper or a JPJ at guard? Um, or do you maybe go to your top reserve, Dawson Jaramillo, but he played a little bit at guard, I think as a redshirt freshman, but is I think a far better tackle than he is at, at guard. And do you discuss maybe moving a Sala or maybe even a TJ Bass to a different position at guard both have history of playing guard bass prefers to play guard but i think bass is by far your best left tackle um this is where having the depth we talked about it during fall camp the 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 deepest position group and i think they've probably got maybe the most versatile position group that you've got some options but it's you you don't want to be dealing with this against byu and the opponent that you're going to be facing yeah i I, if i'm betting and you know, if, if Jones doesn't play, which we're we're just operating under that assumption, even though it's nothing has been said, he very well could could be back, could have been not a very serious thing. We'll see. Um, the, the the easiest move is you just insert JPJ at right guard. Um, Harper has been left guard all fall, from what I've seen, so he's kind of more. Not that you can't play both sides, but you are typically training players for either left guard left tackle, right guard, right tackle, specific spots. You know, you have guys who can play both left tackle, right tackle on all sorts of things. But typically you've got a guy you feel more comfortable with him coming out of his stance to the left as opposed to the right and, and so forth. So um, I think Powers Johnson has been kind of the guy there if it's just a, hey, we're going to pull a second teamer up. Right. I, I do think maybe you could, you know, fiddle with the idea of a let's put Dawson even at right guard like today – during um, the offensive line drills, Dawson was at right guard. 
JPJ was working at right guard. Those were the two guys there. Um, in, in fact, it's kind of a weird drill, but I don't even know how much you want to take away from this, but they do a drill where they have three groups and one group is your left tackle, left guard. The other group is your right guard, center, left guard. And the other group is your right guard, right tackle. I know it's seven players. You only play five at one on the offensive line, but just trying to paint the picture here for the listener so they have a better idea of it. If I had a diagram, it might help even more so I could mark where everybody was. But um, I have it in my notes somewhere, but it, that would be – I'd have to go get my backpack, and that would be a problem. Um, Plus, no one can read your notes. No, no one can read my notes besides me. That would be the real problem. I'd be, like, holding it up against the camera like that. It wouldn't be great. It would be bad podcast. Very professional, yeah. Um, and this is an audio as well as a video podcast, so the video people might be like, oh, here's, there's what's happened. Anyway, I'm talking way too much about this. <laughs> you know, but the so but, but but when they set up in this group, the right tackle right guard combo was Sala and Dawson at right tackle right guard, um, kind of notably. And then when they did that interior thing where they had three players, where they have a center and then the left and right guard, it was Forsyth with Harper to his left and Jackson Powers Johnson to his right. So you get an idea that at least today, Dawson and Jackson Powers Johnson seem like the guys that are fitting there. I imagine it's one of those guys. I don't think you get crazy and say, hey, we're going to move TJ Bass left tackle to right guard. I would be more keen to the idea if there was just a, hey, this guy's a really great left tackle that can step in right away and he's super experienced. They don't have another left tackle, even though I agree that Bass is best. He's, Bass will play in the NFL. He'll play left guard or right guard. Yeah. We'll bet money on it. He's not going to play tackle. Maybe he'll play right tackle, but he's not going to be a left tackle. But for Oregon, he's your best overall offensive lineman, and so you put him at tackle. So um, maybe you get crazy if you feel like, man, Josh Connolly's really made some strides, blah, blah, blah. Right. Let's go for it. Maybe even say, hey, Ryan Walk is healthy. Let's put him at right guard, and you do all sorts of re- crazy reshuffling. But my instinct is if, if Jones doesn't play, you either see Dawson or JPJ, and I, I'd probably lean JPJ at this point, but I could be convinced otherwise. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. Um, I was thinking of the wild, like, conspiracy theory offensive line pairings where you move TJ Bass to left guard, you move Ryan Walk to right guard, you keep solid right tackle and play Connerly a left tackle. But, no, I, this this needs – you know, this is a very important game for Oregon. Um, they're playing a very good ranked opponent in BYU. They need their best offensive unit out, the one that has the most, you know, congeniality. They need to be gelling together. They need to go – and be able to work in a pinch like it's nothing. And to me, that means that, you know, Ryan Walk stays at left guard and then you put either, and then you probably put Jackson Powers Johnson or Marcus Harper at right guard. Um, those are the guys who are playing the most. I think Dawson is better suited as a tackle, specifically a right tackle. You keep TJ Bass at left tackle. Um, I just, if I were, if I were Oregon and I was, you know, Lanning or Dillingham or whoever's making these overall decisions when it comes game time, again, assuming that Steven Jones is out, maybe he is, maybe he isn't, you know, he's missed one practice. So uh, one practice that we've seen, um, you know, I, I would try to keep it as, as simple and as, as, uh, I don't know, probably as vanilla as possible, because this isn't a game to start really experimenting with the offensive line. Um, especially when the BYU defensive front is very good and they're going to need as much talent as possible on that line. That's why it scares me that Connerly at left tackle in this big of a game against this defensive uh, that their front they're going to be facing. um, He may have the better potential. He may be, I mean, I, I I think Dawson is better than Connerly, but I don't have definitive proof evidence of that. Um, He may very well be, better than than Dawson but throwing a true freshman out there at left tackle that's yeah 
that's scary against this this game against this opponent. And what's at stake for this game? Because the narrative could for the 2022 season could be not entirely shaped, but a big chunk of it could be shaped by what happens on Saturday in this game. Now, on the other side, Justin Flo not being at practice. Again, uh, he might be there on Wednesday, and this conversation is, is mute. We don't know yet. But um, this is a this is a big loss, too, um, in part because I just don't think they have a lot of depth here behind Sewell, Flo, and then Bossa. I, I haven't. I haven't seen a lot from LeDuc or Devin Jackson or Harrison Tagger or Keith Brown to make me think that this position group is going to be fine against this level of opponent. If it was Eastern Washington, if these dates were reversed, I wouldn't I wouldn't have any really concern here. Hey, give Flo a week off, they'll be fine. But you're going to need Flo's physicality in this game just because of how big and you know how tough. BYU's offense can be. It's an interesting one to discuss here because um, based upon the opponent, like I almost feel like LeDuc's a better replacement just because you want somebody who's more effective against a bigger offensive line. Mm-hmm. You don't bosses, bosses hasn't had a very good start to the year either. Um, honestly, linebacker, we expected it to be the strength of this defense. It hasn't been. It hasn't been great. Um and Flo was your team's leading tackler. Um, ten of those came against Georgia, two against uh, Eastern Washington, and, and obviously he was missing most of that game with now it appears an injury. I thought it was just kind of didn't feel like he needed to play him much, but we'll see. Maybe it wasn't that. And again, I don't we don't want to overreport on on what we know there. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if you go with the little Duke just to have a little more size there to start, and then you play Bossa on third down. You know, Boss has been playing like some safety too, by the way, and, and that dime package, which I know James Crook yeah. is asking everybody about. There's going to be a big dime package story for those that really want to get. It's into interesting. That. I, um, I mean, they've brought it out a couple times, but and Boss again, is playing but, like a deep safety in that, right? Which is, usually with Sewell down low and then someone else up in the middle. Yeah, usually Flo. So, so I, I think, to me. If if Flo can't play, gosh, I just hope for his sake and for the team's sake. He's back on Wednesday. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, I, I, and I hope if he misses the BYU game, he's back as soon as possible. It would be so tough on his career if if he misses a significant part of the season again. I mean, that would be three straight years where it's like he can't even get out of the month of September without suffering something. Um, just brutal. But again, if, if, if he is not available, I, I, I almost kind of wonder if you go, if you do like take a look at the Leduc, who I don't think has played very well at all, but that's in part because he's been asked to play in space, which is not his strong suit. Um, Boss's strong suit is to play in space, and maybe you just try to kind of rotate evenly or as even as possible between those two, depending upon what BYU is showing. But um, it is a tough one. I, I think you have better depth and better alternative options on the offensive line than you do at linebacker, which is maybe something I wasn't expecting to say. Um Earlier, and maybe we'll be surprised because Boston played really well at times last year. And, and shoot, I still think highly of the Duke. He just mm-hmm. both those guys have just not played very well so far, just to put it point blank. Right. Well, and it's yeah, it's tough to say that a lot of defensive guys have played very well to start this season because we yeah. still have the burning images of Georgia trotting down the field, you know, and missing just one one third down all game. So 
But I kind of thought the same idea as you, Eric, where this seemed like a, a Jackson LaDuke uh, start. I mean, he did technically start against Eastern Washington on Saturday, but then was taken off the field for flow just one play later. So uh, some some type of a start. But he is the bigger and more physical back. He's a much better downhill and pass rusher and tackler and, and at least has run against running backs. Um, he's That's like his skill set. That's what he's really good at. He's an old school linebacker. Um, again, like you mentioned, Eric, putting him out in space probably isn't the best idea and you'd want to have preferably have Jeffrey Boss out there. But Jeffrey Bassa hasn't done great in space either. Um, not a lot of the running or linebackers have, and probably none of them have done well in, in, in space this season so far. Um, so I think that could be an issue in, in just in general. Um, I think that was a, a concern that we've all had about this linebacking cores. You know, who's who's good in space, who's good in coverage, stuff like that. Um, but I think it'll ultimately it'll just come down to how BYU is running their offense. Um, if they're BYU that has been in the past where they're hard-nosed, they're physical, they like to run a lot, you know, it might be a LeDuc and Sewell game, assuming that flow is out and that can't, can't participate. Um, if they're mixing it up and going east to west on Oregon, like, a, like Eastern Washington tried to do and what Georgia did very effectively, maybe it's Sewell and Jeffrey Bassa. Um, we might get a chance to see Devin Jackson or Harrison Taggart play. Um, I kind of doubt that, but uh, Keith Brown is still there. He had a huge sack against Eastern Washington, although he hasn't played a lot this season. This may be an opportunity for him to show up and do something um, to sort of support the run. Maybe he's better in coverage. I'm not sure. We just haven't seen enough from him this year to even have a real good idea. And last year he played most of the year, you know, a little bit banged up or dinged up as Dan would like to say. So I think there's options there. I think it'll all come down to how BYU is playing. Um, and I would like to see Jeffrey, Di Jeffrey Bassa in that dime package. I think that's interesting stuff. Jared, I'll read that article. Wouldn't, Jared, wouldn't you rather play Keith over the two true freshmen now? I would, uh, yes. Granted, I have no idea how the true, two true freshmen are doing in practice. Maybe they are doing quite well. Well, I mean, the, the, the playing time suggests the opposite yes. in terms of Taggart hasn't played yet I don't think even last game and Devin Jackson has played but mostly special, special teams. teams so yeah. I think Brown is your was your fifth linebacker coming into the season and now for he's sure fourth probably yeah just and that's and that's fine we'll, again we'll we'll just see how BYU because I think that how they play is going to be how Oregon dictates their linebacker rotations I agree all right let's take a quick break and when we come back, we'll discuss some of the stuff that we've heard from Dan, heard from the defense as they prepare for BYU. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Ots and podcast. My premier scope with Jared Mack. Um, Oregon versus BYU. Dan was very complimentary of this team. Um, I asked him about just, the identity of you know the the image or the the physical play of this team you know at BYU, which you normally would associate with an independent that's not named Notre Dame or a Group of Five school, and think they're a little bit smaller. And yeah, you know, he brought that up as not true NFL players. Um, I think let's start with the identity of Oregon though, as they go into this game. Um, he was asked that question, and. I think we got an idea of kind of what he's looking for. And it was some interesting comments just about finishing plays on both sides of the football expanded on, you know, his concerns from the Georgia game. Yeah. Um, I think, well, should I read the whole quote? I asked the question. It's a decently long quote. I'll read it and we can kind of parse through it. he says, I think we're closer today than we were last week. This is in regards to having identities defined on both sides. It's still not completely where we want to be. There's certainly a lot of pauses that came out of the last game. We had some first downs, and we were able to move the ball really well on offense. And, by the way, a little caveat here. Had some first downs. They actually set a school record with 40, so they definitely yeah, had. Just a few. Just a couple. Um, I'd love to see more of those plays that were 15 yards turn into into 30-yard plays, create some more explosives. I think a lot of that has to do with how we play without the ball down the field. We finished blocks. Uh, with finishing blocks and being able to, instead of buying a ticket, being a spectator on a play, going and finishing blocks and plays, that's something we're looking for for certain on offense. Defensively, we have to continue to play within the framework of the defense and play with relentless effort, but you want to have an opportunity to create some more negatives and be able to finish on some one-on-ones. We certainly were able to get some takeaways this last game. That's got to be something we continue to do moving forward. So, I, I, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting person through there and I, I we talked about this i think either on sunday or monday show all these bleed together of the offense performed really well obviously score touchdowns like the first nine drives i can't take anything away from it there weren't a lot of explosives and, and i'm not surprised no. to see him point that out of like a lot of what took place was bo nicks hitting guys on routes that i would say the depth of target is like six to ten yards easy mm-hmm. easy conversions and then you have troy make a play upfield you have dante get some run Obviously, Terrence Ferguson had two touchdowns where it was short passes, and and he was able to kind of get upfield. Clearly, they want they want to have more run after catch than even we had last game, and that makes sense. He points to like guys upfield need to be not spectators on plays and go you know block block the guy that's on them so that there's more opportunity for a Troy or a Terrence or a Dante or a Seven or a Chris or whoever it is to get upfield. So I think that's notable in offense because I don't have this the game stats in front of me here. Um, did they have a single play aside from the Sean Dollars screen that was more than 30 yards? I don't think they did. No, they, they didn't. I think that was the only one. So it's kind of wild to think about. You have 604 yards in a game, and only one of them is what qualifies as an explosive play. So clearly they want I'm to be I'm pretty lost. sure they had a 29-yard play. What's an explosive play again? Is it over 25? 
I think it's over. Well, it kind of depends on how you want to define it. They, I, I've used over thirty. If you want to use over twenty-five, we can do that. I think there was a twenty-nine yard. They had a twenty-six run yard run. It was Marquis Irving. Yeah, Lucky had it. Yeah, hit a long run. So that was it. So one or two explosives, both by running backs. Neither, none in the passing game that were downfield. So I think that's notable. BYU did, did a good, a great job against Baylor of keeping everything in front of them and not allowing that. So I'm sure that's part of what he's getting out of like to beat a good defense like BYU. We need to stretch the field. We need to have players yeah. that can move the ball, not just in 10 yard chunks. Of course, you take 10 yard chunks because they scored 70 points and I guess had 40 first downs. But there was a lack of, you know, if you have 40 first downs, that means you're picking up 10 yard increments and not 30 yards, right. 30 yards. 30 yard. So I that part stood out. And then, you know, defensively, I'm probably you know, in, in agreement with um, just kind of like weren't a lot of negative plays for, for Eastern. I think that was sort of surprising. I know it's a smaller sample size. Jared, you probably have that in front of me. How many negative yards on rushes did they have? I know they had two sacks, three if we want to use that Casey Rogers one, which I'm still petitioning to be recorded as a sack because that was definitely that a, was so silly. a sack. Um, I can't think of that many run plays. That I think they probably out of like about 50 total plays for Eastern Washington. I want to say maybe only four or five were "quote unquote" negative plays. I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find it really quickly, but I cannot. Something in that range. So, if Jared, even if we can't, so like yards, yards lost rushing, uh, sixteen. Yeah, and I think and how many came on the two sacks? I don't know if you can find that really quick. I'm looking. Look on the defensive stats for the 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 sack number on the thing. It's probably like twelve. My point is like I Eastern despite not gaining very many yards, and this is kind of nitpicking, but I get his point of like, it wasn't like, you got it? Two sacks for 11 yards. Okay, so that means that they had probably three plays, maybe four. Yeah, five but, extra yards on top of that. So 16 total yards lost of rushing. And five tackles, from five tackles for loss, I think. Right, so yeah, it's it's not as many as you'd love to see against an inferior competition. So I get that. I get it. Offensively, let's get some more explosive plays. Defensively, let's... Let's have the equivalent of what's an explosive play, which is a turnover or a sack or a tackle for loss. And you're going to need that against a, a BYU team that's that's pretty good. I mean, more than pretty good. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to cause some some real challenges here. So I agree, Matt. I, those are pretty telling that, you know, this is the Dan Landing way of, hey, we're going to say some nice things, but then he always finds two or three kind of additional things that they want to work on. Very, very Dana Altman-like. Mm-hmm. Mm, I like that. Yeah, Dan always is like, oh, this guy, you know, he, he did this really well, but he'll be the first guy to tell you that he needs to go back and look at the film and do this better. Um, it's, But it's true. I'm sure all of those guys know what they do well and know what they don't do well. Um, like I've said for to a lot of people and for a long time now, you know, for, for individuals, it's always easier to do the easy thing. Um, I think Dan said something like that, or one of the coaches said something like that in a press conference. Um, just for the, the identities of the team, um, yeah, I mean, explosive plays just help a de- help an offense out. With the ability to stretch the ball down the field, the defense has to really take that into account, and then that leaves all your underneath routes. So maybe Bo Nix isn't the best deep ball thrower, but if he can hit two or three in a game and get a chunk play like 40, 50 yards, it doesn't even have to be a touchdown. The defense has to be cognizant of that and then switch their defense and do something like a two-high safety, um, something where like that's, I don't know, to, to make a professional example out of this is what the Kansas City Chiefs tried to do this offseason. You know, they have the deep ball threat in Tyreek Hill, but that's all they ever had. And so defenses would adjust to that and take it out of the way. Now they have a deep ball threat, but they also have people underneath with like Travis Kelsey. So you need a, a diverse offense. And obviously 
you know, putting up 40 first downs is very nice. But like Eric said, these are 10 yard increments. You know, if they were to hit a 70 yard touchdown pass, that negates seven potential first downs, but it also puts seven points up on the board, right. just like you would if you got those seven first downs. So I think offensive explosion plays are necessary, and especially against BYU, uh, I don't think you're going to dink and dime them a lot. Just they're just a much better defense. They're faster to the ball. And, you know, you go back and you rewatch this Eastern Washington game. Um, Oregon's just a much better team and their, their athletes are much better. Um, it was probably how Georgia fans looked at watching the Oregon and Georgia game where they just said our athletes are just much better. Um, defensively identities. Yeah. Obviously you want a, a pass rush and you want tackles for loss. Um, but this was a concern. I think we all had this concern coming into the season where we don't know if there's a true edge rusher. I know that I said it a lot because you're replacing Kayvon Thibodeau, who was a guaranteed like at least one one or two tackles for loss, if not one or two sacks in a game, unless the unless the offense appropriately went right at him. But you would have games like against Thibodeau against UCLA, where he literally could, you know, pull a Miles Garrett and interrupt the entire game just by himself. And you do not have somebody like that on this team where you can rely on them to get a significant pass rush. And Brandon Dorless was better against Eastern Washington, but you know, you're still looking for production from DJ Johnson or uh, Braden Swinson or Mace Funa along the edge. Um, you're looking for some push from Casey Rogers or Jordan Riley, who I thought Rogers was, was pretty good against Eastern Washington, yeah. but you're still looking for that. And I know that that's what Dan wants to do is to wreak havoc in the backfield. Um, Cause I think that's probably the goal of any defensive minded head coach or defensive coordinator is to force the other team to get the ball out quick put them in pressure situations and let them, you know, make mistakes. Um, and against Georgia, there were not a lot of mistakes made because there was not a lot of pressure uh, against Eastern Washington. There were more mistakes made those, those two takeaways, but um, you, you would have, yeah, you would have liked to have seen more pressure and more tackles for losses, but I wouldn't say it's worst case, but you need, you know, they need to start dialing it up somehow, some way, whether it's simulated pressures with linebackers or corners or whatever the case may be against this BYU team. Because uh, you know, Hall is a is a Jaron Hall is a good quarterback, and you know he's going to he's going to dissect this team if if, if given the opportunity to. Um, but Oregon's going to try not to let that happen. That kind of goes into the next segment here. Um, this BYU team, I think we mentioned it on the podcast yesterday. I'll mention it again. It's probably the best team Oregon has faced during their twenty game home winning streak. Maybe Washington is the only other team that's that would be better than BYU. Um, but I think you could argue one way or the other, both teams would have claims. And this is a big team. You look at their offensive line, they've got massive bodies up front. Former Duck Kingsley Sanamatia is uh, their projected starting right tackle. Um, he's also the team's heaviest lineman that will play in this game at 325. On the other side of the football, uh, they've got a lot of size up front. They've got a lot of athleticism. Um, and those are the things that Dan kind of commented on. And as Jared was saying, physicality here is going to be a big deal. And finishing off plays is going to be a big deal. Um, I think this team knows this. And I think this is going to be a good test, a good idea of where or we I will I'll say this. We'll learn a hell of a lot more where Oregon's at in this game than we did last week against Eastern Washington. I think we've all got kind of ideas yeah. of where things are going. Mm -hmm. um, those will be confirmed or denied 
with how Oregon plays against BYU. You you can't play a a B minus game and walk away with a win uh, on Saturday. Yeah, and, and as Dan said, BYU has NFL players on their roster, um, also really old players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is like a weird thing to talk about. But I mean, I was spent some time looking at the roster the last couple of days, and just a lot of these guys go on two year missions, and a lot of these guys red shirt still and you look up and you go man this kid was a part of the 2016 recruiting class that's the same year of cam mccormick that was the same year as jared mack (laughs) there there are multiple guys on this byu team that are probably your age or older Um, oh for sure so you know that part plays i don't know how much of a role in terms of like the outcome but physical maturity um mental and maturity, like just in terms of like, I asked, Dan Dan didn't really have much to say on the matter, but I did ask like, you're playing a team of guys that are in the mid twenties that have kind of started lives outside of football that aren't, you know, just kind of getting away from home. You know, I mean, Oregon's got a fairly young roster from freshman, sophomore perspective. I think one of the younger rosters in the the country, BYU from an age perspective, I would venture is the, is the oldest team in the country. I would be surprised if not, because I was just kind of stunned looking through it of like, Here's a trivia question that I asked you guys that I'll just answer, but I, I, I asked you guys yesterday uh, via Slack of Jaron Hall, Oregon or a BYU starting quarterback, committed in 26 or signed in 2016. He committed to play at BYU in 2014. That's eight years ago. This guy was deciding to go to BYU, and he's a junior. He could be back next year for an eighth year of you know removed from you know or a ninth year removed from that commitment to the school. So. This is an older team. This is a veteran team. This is a pretty talented team. Um, there are, and we've talked about it on Monday's show, and I don't think I've seen any clarification yet. And we will have a BYU reporter on a podcast later this week previewing the game. But th- some injuries for BYU, pretty, I think, stand pretty tall here in terms of kind of what you're preparing for. Because Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney, the two top returning receivers, are two of the teams, I think, four best recruits on the roster. These are highly regarded players. Nakua started at Washington. Romney's been at BYU his whole career. But guys that were four-star recruits, I think Romney was really close, but it was a high three, and that have developed into really productive college players. They're both dealing with injuries. And if you get if you take those players away, the player that's been leading them in receiving is Chase Roberts, who's a true freshman. Six foot four had eight catches for 122 yards against Baylor. Clearly productive. Not trying to be reductive of Chase, but he's not one of the other two guys. And I think Oregon would feel better if, if you know, Oregon have a better chance of winning this game if those players are also limited. Nakua was dealing with an ankle, and and uh, Romney's. We don't know the specifics of that injury yet. So, just kind of some thoughts I had on the roster, and I think I think Jaron Hall is going to be someone to, to contend with. That's going to be one of the better quarterbacks Oregon plays all season in my mind. Yeah, I, I agree with that one. Um, everybody we talked to today and including Lanning yesterday had, had nice things to say about Jaron, although I don't, I, I would be surprised if they went on and said disparaging things about them. I don't, I don't think that would be what they would normally do, but uh, you know, Christian Gonzalez mentioned that he is, you know, he's a good quarterback. He, he was asked about Chase Roberts as well and mentioned that, um, He's also he's a good receiver, and that they you know they're working hard on him. But they also he, he finds it to be an advantage that they get to go against people like Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton and Chase Coda in practice. So 
that's definitely a positive. But um, regarding those two injuries, yeah, Eric, I agree with you. Those are significant issues for BYU if there is uh, if those guys can't go. Um, you know, those are your arguably your two most talented receivers. Chase had a great great week last week. Um, you know, but Oregon, you know, with, with Christian Gonzalez, that's a it's a number one corner, or at least Oregon's number one corner. He hasn't really been given the opportunity to prove himself too much that he's a potential first rounder in the NFL draft. But um, this might be the game where he is um, because Hall is a, Hall is a good quarterback who can, uh, you know, really, really pull some pull some strings on the offensive side of the ball and really make some plays. Um, he's like Dan said, he's capable of running, but isn't necessarily like a run first guy. Um, overall, as a team, BYU, I mean, we talked about this on Monday's podcast about how physical they can be. Um, Dan said they had future NFL guys. So does Oregon. This will be much more like a Pac-12 game or a bowl yep. game than it would be a non-conference against an independent. Um, you know, UMass is also an independent. And I feel like people think outside of Notre Dame, like Matt was saying earlier, outside of Notre Dame, like the other independent schools aren't as good. But BYU is a hell of a program. They have been for, shoot, probably like as long as I've been alive and even past that. Um, and like Eric mentioned, I think the, the age discrepancy that actually you know, that could that could lead to an advantage. Um, it might not could lead to an advantage in their their financial services off the field, but maybe not. I, I don't know if it'll lead necessarily to an on the field advantage. Um, overall, though, BYU is a, a very talented opponent and someone that so it's going to give Oregon a lot of trouble and, and it, uh, in the trenches and along the perimeter. Um, and especially their past defense, too, who have allowed just th under 300 yards through two games. Here's one more comment. Unless, is there anything else we should discuss real quick on this show? I've got one little. Um, not really. I, I just, I, I just on Jaron Hall, you know, I, he's not a run first guy. In fact, his rushing in his career is like, it doesn't jump out. I think he had like 300, 400 yards rushing last year as a starter, but you know, he is a hard player to take down and, DJ Johnson noted Oregon's pass rush has kind of had a hard time getting there in part because if I cook the other teams get the ball out, but he's excited to play an offense that will hold it a little bit more, but noted that, Hey, um, you know, you go against an offense and when the quarterback's that mobile, it's not just get past the tackle and the play's over. It's get past the tackle and then make sure you make the play to get the quarterback down. And those are the kind of problems. Mm -hmm. that sends you. One thing I wanted to talk about with, with Jaron Hall is, um, there's no way we could find this information, but I don't think I've ever seen this play out. Two quarterbacks in college, both married, play each other. Oh, oh, Bo, Bo Nix also got married this summer. This is yeah. true. That's a that's a good stat. Is it a stat? I don't know. Good detail. I'm sure it could be Canada. a stat. <laughs> it could we be a stat. Jared Hall. Jaron Hall, also the first black quarterback uh, to start a game for BYU. So a lot of firsts oh. there. He's, first. he's 25 in like a month. So Shoot, he's that's... like literally my age. That's, a... <laughs> that's impressive. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. We'll be back uh, tomorrow with a recruiting update, and then we'll have something on Thursday with a BYU writer to preview the game. And then Friday, we'll wrap things up for the week with our preview show, our pick show, I should say. Uh, and then post-game edition from Austin Stadium or back from our houses. Uh, 
Saturday night from Oregon BYU. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you there, folks. Peace. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.